Welcome to The Crystal Pain Show, where we help you embrace your life right where you are and give you practical steps to get where you want to go. Whether you are in your car, folding laundry, cooking, cleaning, or maybe even just enjoying a cup of coffee and a few minutes of quiet, we're so glad you're joining us today. Here's your host, wife, mom of six kids, foster mom, entrepreneur, and author, Crystal Payne. Welcome to another episode of The Crystal Pain Show. I have been looking forward to this episode ever since I got this book and started reading it because, you guys, this is a question that I have gotten over and over and over again. If you follow me online, if you listen to the podcast, you know something that we talk about a lot is emotional language and about helping our kids to be more emotionally healthy and as parents for us to dig into what is underlying our frustration, our stress, um, when we are feeling these big feelings and really getting to the root of them. And I often, when I talk about this, will have moms come to me and say, that's great. I don't know how to teach that to my kids though. And especially with my little kids, like how do I help a three-year-old understand emotional language? And so I have for a long, long time wanted to have a resource to share with you all. And I finally do. And I have the author of this resource in studio today. Lauren Gaines is the author of Unshakable Kids, Three Keys to Raising Spiritually Strong and Emotionally Healthy Children. That title and subtitle right there, Spiritually Strong and Emotionally Healthy Children, like Lauren, we are just sold on this book. We all need this book. And I cannot wait to dive into some of the really practical principles that you share in this book. But before we get to that, I'd love for you to just start by introducing yourself to my audience. Great. Thank you so much for having me again. I'm Lauren and I have three kids of my own. So 10, eight, and four. And then I also have a background in school psychology. So before kids, I worked as a school psychologist. A lot of people think that's a school counselor. It's very similar. I did do counseling and I worked in Baltimore City public schools. So that needed a lot more counseling. Mm -hmm. Some jobs as a school psychologist, you're doing mostly testing for special education and forming IEPs, but the the counseling was really heavy. And so I did group counseling and individual counseling. And then when I had kids, I knew that I wanted to be home, but also kind of wanted to have my foot in the door. So I taught online and then in person, intro to psych and human development. So I, when I was in grad school, loved how a lot of psychology principles line up with the Bible and people don't always share that, but that is my hope in the book to say that these principles that we're now learning, science is proving to be true, God has already written about 2,000 years ago. So I just thought that was so fascinating when I was learning about cognitive behavioral therapy and things like that. It was so neat to see the connection. Okay, so I have to ask, what is the difference between a school psychologist and a school counselor since you said there was a difference? Yeah, so the main, I mean, you both have to have a master's and like Mm -hmm. different certifications, but a school counselor cannot uh, diagnose for special education. So I would say whether somebody qualified or not and then help formulate their services. So they both do counseling and helping really, I worked with teachers to help the students learn best too. Mm -hmm. So if they needed accommodations, helping the teachers understand that and kind of doing some education. So I think that school counselors might be able to do 504 plans, but not Mm -hmm. IEPs. Okay. And so when you got into this, like when you went to school, were you thinking that you wanted to 
be a school psychologist or is that something you just fell into? Well, the funny part is I went into undergrad as a math major. Okay. <laughs> so it is like the complete opposite of writing a book. And my brain still works that way. It's mm-hmm. it's not writing was not my strong point, which is kind of mm-hmm. funny the way God uses that. But I got to Calc 3 and I was doing well, but I was like sitting in the library doing five hours of one problem of math and mm-hmm. thinking, I don't like this. I like to be around people. And I, I think I had taken psychology as an elective and I was just fascinated to learn. I always loved hearing people's stories and interacting with people. And so it just felt like, okay, I'm not sure that math, like majoring in math mm-hmm. is the best fit for me, even though my brain does work that way. Mm-hmm. And so then you went into psychology and specifically, did you want to work with kids? Yes. Yeah. I always, I loved kids since my brother was born when I was nine. So that was a really Mm -hmm. unique experience because I got to have like a real life baby doll. (laughs) And my sister and I, I have an older sister would like fight over who could hold him. And he, and he was the best baby too. So I always loved kids. I always helped out at VBS and knew that. So I wanted to be a math teacher. Mm -hmm. So I knew that I, and I thought, Oh, school would be good because then I could be at home in the summers with my kids. Uh, so I, I did know that I wanted to work with kids. Mm-hmm. So this this title, I, I love the subtitle. You said three keys to raising spiritually strong and emotionally healthy children. Could you define for us in a snippet what you would view, like what is spiritually strong and emotionally healthy? What does that mean? Yeah. So spiritually strong, I feel like we're living in a crazy world. It's, you know, depressing to watch the news or to scroll even Instagram. And so I saw, I think I was telling you before the show that my kids were picking up on some of the habits that I had with negative thought patterns or were like irrational fears. And so I really wanted my kids to be able to walk into a situation because we can protect them. And I think that's valuable, but there is such thing as overprotection. Our kids are going to have to go out into the real world at some point. And I want them to know who they are as children of God and who God's, what God says about them and the authority that comes with that. And so I feel like at a young age, especially looking at Barner research, they always do tons of research show that, you know, by the age of nine, kids have a moral foundation. And so what are we doing with young kids to teach them about Jesus, about who they are, about, you know, because the world will tell us one thing and then God's word tells us something else. And so I wanted them to be able to walk into a situation, even if it was scary, even if it was hard, not being shaken, knowing that they are strong because God never leaves them. He never forsakes them. And so that's the spiritual strength part. Because I think for me, I did have a foundation as a child, but I went to college and did some of the things that college people do and kind I don't I never stopped believing in God but I I didn't take the faith up for my own. Mm-hmm. I kind of was relying on my family's faith and then I think it would be such a gift if we can give our children that faith at a young age so that they walk through those harder years of teenage and college knowing who they are. Mm-hmm. So I love you cite some research you kind of alluded to it. I'm going to pull it up. You said that um, the Barner research, it says that in essence, what you believe by the time you are 13 is what you will die believing. I was honestly really shocked by that because I feel like that I hear from a lot of parents who are talking about how you raised our kids and the faith and all of that. And then they, you know, became 18, 20 and they lost all of that. So talk to me a little bit more about that. Cause I'm sure that there's a person listening who is thinking, okay, like, how does this work? Because if we teach them this when they're young, but, you know, we can't really control them when they get older. 
I know that's a really hard statistic because I don't want people, I don't want, and I think I say this in the book, I don't want parents to start fearing and thinking like, I messed up. Mm -hmm. I didn't lay that foundation when they're young and it's over because there are people I think who come to know Christ and Jesus at a later age. Mm -hmm. But I think if we can build it when they're younger, the chances of them walking away hopefully are less. And I think too, if there is a season, like there was a season where I, my faith wasn't as deep, right? I never stopped believing in God, but I was living in a way that you would not think was lining up with the Bible. And so I think to the parent who's kind of wondering, my child has veered off from the truth, hold on and keep praying and claiming those scriptures over their life because it's not over and God has the final say. So emotionally healthy, I want to also dive into that. Can you define what that is? Yeah. So that's something that I've been passionate about since I learned in grad school, because I think I'm a highly sensitive person. I don't have an official diagnosis, but I'm pretty sure that I am. And so naturally my kids, when they started responding in certain ways, it's, I'm slow to warm up new situations may make me feel anxious. And then it's like, I see my kids act like that. And I wonder why are they doing that? Duh, Lauren, they have your DNA and also they're living in your environment. So I think emotionally healthy is not that we would avoid all negative feelings because we're going to feel sad. We're going to feel frustrated. We're going to feel disappointed. And so I don't think it's trying to avoid those feelings with our kids. That's not healthy, but understanding, okay, I feel knowing to identify, I feel frustrated right now, or I feel disappointed and knowing that that feeling is not going to last forever. And I know what to do to get myself back to that place of peace and happiness. And so I think that's key. If our kids can start to understand, recognize when my heart is beating really fast, that means I'm nervous. Cause a lot of kids that I work with don't even know that their body is sending them signals. They may say, my belly hurts. I have a headache. And their belly really does hurt, but it could be a sign that something else is going on in their thoughts. And you know they might be in fight or flight and not even realize that. So if we can help our kids understand that, I think they're going to walk through life much better. Mm. So let's walk through these three keys. Could you just give us kind of a high level overview of the three keys, and then we'll dive more into practical. Right. Yeah. So the first is the mind. And that is so important because we have the numbers debated, but I went with 70,000 thoughts per day in our mind, which I think my kids and I did the calculation is 1.5 thoughts per second, which is a lot of thoughts. And kids have these two and they don't always, they're not aware that they have thoughts. And even for adults, we may have some that we're not consciously thinking about, but they're affecting us. And so the Bible talks about to take every thought captive and learning how to think of lovely, pure, excellent things will give our kids a great start to understand what thoughts run through their heads and the power that our thoughts have. And then the next is heart, because I think, so there's a twist in the book. It is about raising unshakable kids, but it's also, we need to be emotionally healthy first before we can raise emotionally healthy kids. So the heart section looks at heart wounds that our kids could experience too, but all of us have heart wounds, whether they're really deep or whether they're small nicks, you know, all of us have walked through things that have hurt us. And we want to make sure that we have healed hearts because If we don't, that wound will keep coming up and we will parent from maybe fear or from anxiety because like, let's say we had friend rejection as a teenager and then our kid in elementary school is having trouble making friends. We're going to view that totally different if that wound isn't completely healed. So looking at that and then looking at sin, how to address sin in our life, in our kid's life and how to have a heart to heart connection, because I think 
That's so invaluable to create that love and nurture with our kids. And then lastly is identity, because I think there's an attack of identity on our kids today. And so knowing who they are and knowing how to build godly self-esteem, not self-esteem of the world, but to feel confident in who God created them to be. So the last section is on that. And then to bring it all home, the last part of the book is home life. So, okay, we talked about why these things are important, but how do we practically walk them out on a daily basis? One of the things I loved in your book was it had such powerful content, but there were these gray boxes all throughout. Now I have a pre-release copy, so are they, I think they're yes, probably gray yes, in the yep. actual case. Um, and they are brain builders and some other different things, but it was so practical hands-on. It was not just theoretically, or this is what the research says, but here is how today you can walk this out personally or with your kids. Could you give us some of those? I would love for you to talk about the heart and the mind and identity and share just one of the brain builders for each of those. Yeah. So one of my favorite ones in the mind section is about metacognition, which is understanding what we're thinking about. And so I give a script, which I give a forewarning that it might not go perfectly when, you know, you look on Instagram and you think these conversations are going to be ideal and the birds are chirping and the sun is coming out. It might not go that way. So it's okay if it's not perfect as it's written in the book, but to talk to your kids about how God spoke the universe just with his words and how powerful our words are. And often before we speak, it's a thought. And scientists say that the universe is continually expanding. And so God's word is so powerful that it's still expanding and growing just from that initial speaking. And so to get our kids to understand that, the first they have to understand how God created it. And then now, okay, we can speak life, we can speak death, and that's even internal. So we have something called self-talk. And that's what we say to ourselves. We may not say it out loud, but we're saying it in our head. Like, I'm so dumb. I messed this up. Why do you? Why is math always hard for you? And so if we continue that negative thought pattern, it's not going to be well. So the metacognition is setting a timer and having your kids, and they can tell you if they're too young to to write, they can just tell you the thoughts that pop in their head. And it's a, it's to get them to understand, because before we can change our mind, we have to understand what's running through it. And so this gives them a tangible way to see like, oh, I'm thinking and my thoughts can shift from one thing to the next really quickly, or I may even be thinking two things at the same time. So setting a timer for a minute, two minutes, three minutes, whatever you think would be best for your kids and having them write down their thoughts is a great way to get them aware of what's running through their head. And I think as adults, this is something that is such a powerful exercise. I know for me, sometimes if you feel that stress rising or frustration, or you just feel like there's so much going on, so much swirling around in my head, just stopping and really thinking about what is actually in my head. Like, what yeah. am I actually thinking about? What is actually like the straw that's breaking the camel's back? What is the thing that is really weighing me down? And so paying attention to what we're paying attention to can really help us because you talk a lot in the book about how when we shift our attention, like paying attention to what there is to be grateful for. It changes our perspective. Mm -hmm. Gratitude reframes our perspective. And so I think that it's so powerful for our kids to understand that our thoughts really do have such impact in our life. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like there could be a whole book just on the thoughts because I do go over the cognitive triangle too. And just that connects 
How our thoughts influence our feelings, which influence our actions. Because a lot of times kids may blame things on other people and say, oh, they took my toy or they did this to me. And they don't realize that they thought something before they acted. So maybe they pushed their brother or sister. Maybe they grabbed the toy back. But before they ever did that, there was a thought in their head like, hey, that's not fair. And so if they can understand how their thoughts influence their feelings and influence the way they act, I mean, they can change that whole cycle by changing their thoughts. It will change how they feel and it will change what they do. And it goes back to what you were talking about before of as parents, our wounds or our experiences or a baggage that we bring into parenting that is going to impact our thoughts, which will impact our feelings, which will impact our actions. So I think of, you know, like you were talking about, if you struggled with friendship or rejection as a child, then when your third grader comes home and they, you know, a friend did something to them, you can almost like blow it up into a much larger thing just because you remember the rejection or whatever you experienced. And so I think for us as parents to recognize, you know, what are we parenting out of as well? What are mm-hmm. those thoughts in our head that are affecting our feelings? Because I know sometimes with, especially I think with my son, I will kind of blow something up. I'll be feeling so sad or, um, you know, just hurting for him. And he'll be like, oh, I'm fine. You know, and I'll realize, <laughs> yeah. oh, this is, this is my own thing that I need to work through. This is my own wound or something that I need to work through. And it really doesn't have anything to do with them. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. If you've heard me talk at all over the last few years, you know that I went through a season where I had very severe seasonal allergies and it took me a while to figure out what was triggering it and it was debilitating. If you've ever suffered from this, I actually had my polyps got really swollen in my nose and then I got chronic rhinitis. So I could not smell out of my nose. And not only that, but I would have these really awful headaches, the kind that just kept me from being able to enjoy my life. And I started going to an ENT and one of the things that he recommended was Claritin D. And so for a time period, I took Claritin and it was such a help to me. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. It works so well. I am a living testament to how well it works. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. So if you've ever suffered from seasonal allergies, if you can relate to kind of some of the things that I have experienced and you want some relief, I highly recommend checking out Claritin D. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Amwar makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Amwar, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. 
All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for new-to-use styles. Now, I've mentioned on the podcast recently that I have been pregnant or breastfeeding for four and a half years, and that season of my life came to a close recently, and I was like, I forgot I can wear normal clothes again that don't need to be breastfeeding friendly or constantly changing in sizes with a postpartum body. And so now I'm left with trying to figure out, well, what do I wear? What is my style? I can't even remember. And styles have changed so much in the last few years. And so I've been having fun experimenting with different types of clothing. And I love that Amoir has allowed me to try some different styles of jeans and kind of step outside my comfort zone and figure out what I love, what works for my body type, and to not have spent money on things that I was like, "Mm, actually, this doesn't work after I wore it a few times and realized I don't really like it. And so it's been a great opportunity for me to try out some new things and help me to define my personal style. And I also love that the style quiz, the different suggestions that they gave after I took the style quiz, it was right in line with what I would want to wear. And so I have just loved this service and I would love for you to get to try it out and get a great deal. Right now, my listeners can give Amoir a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit amoir.style forward slash crystal. That is amoir.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash crystal to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Amoir today. This episode is sponsored by Byheart, and I feel like I need to preface what I'm going to say with this. I'm a huge advocate of breastfeeding. Anyone who knows me well knows that nursing is something I believe in, and all five of our biological children were breastfed until they were 19 to 23 months old. However, we also have fostered and adopted, and I've been so grateful for formula companies in those situations. I'm also grateful for formula companies because our last two biological children, I really struggled with my supply and did all the things, spent so much time and effort and just was never able to produce enough for them to be able to gain weight and not be hungry. And so I was so grateful for companies like Byheart. Byheart is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, Byheart created a clinically proven, easy to digest infant formula that's made with organic, grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. They're made with certified clean ingredients. It has no soy, corn syrup, GMOs, or palm oil. Curious about Byheart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com forward slash podcast with code crystal for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. So go to byheart.com forward slash podcast and use crystal to get your welcome offer. I would love for you to talk about in the book, you know, just this emotionally healthy thing, how I talked about 
at the beginning, emotional language and helping our kids when they have these big feelings, like how do we help, let's say uh, a three or five-year-old who they are still learning how to communicate, how do we start building that emotional language for them to help them to express what they're feeling and not just have it come out as anger? Yeah. So um, first, I don't think I actually wrote this in the book, but when you were saying that, we love Daniel Tiger because my kids, or maybe I did say in the one part that my daughter and son were both like gurring like Daniel Tiger. <laughs> yes, you're talking about that. I'm frustrated. But Daniel Tiger, they've actually done research on it that it does increase a child's emotional awareness, which is kind of a win-win. If sometimes you need a moment of peace, you can turn on Daniel Tiger. But I think reading books and then also I talk about this too. This is something I learned in Counseling 101, reflecting the feelings. So they may be telling you something or they may be yelling or screaming. And so if you can help them identify that feeling at first and say like, it sounds like you're really frustrated right now. You're really disappointed that we couldn't do this. And so if you kind of restate that for them and summarize how they're feeling, then they're going to be like, yeah, I do feel that way. And that's just going to teach them over time. It's not going to be instant. I think these conversations are not going to be one time and your child knows, oh, I know what anger feels like. But I think to reflecting back sometimes in the middle of the tantrum, is not the best time to be, you could say you may be feeling really disappointed, but that's not going to be the best time to dissect all of it because they're just not in an emotional or mental state to do that. So waiting after and kind of talking about like, Hey, what happened? You know, what do you think triggered that? Or what do you think we could do differently? Like what's a way that you, you don't want to shame them for feeling sad or disappointed. That's a normal feeling that again is going to happen, but what's something else we could do? What makes you feel better? My youngest, I know she has a pillow that has become her security blanket. And she's like, I want my pillow. And she just, it's a little toddler pillow. And so knowing what works for your child, you kind of doing this like trial and error, like what's helping because it might help for one child. It might not help for the other and seeing if it's just distracting their mind playing. I've played so many ABC games at doctor's offices or when my kids are feeling nervous of tell me an something that starts with an A that's a fruit. Apple. Okay, now tell me banana and go through the whole alphabet. And it's a really practical way to get them because they might just be looping. I'm so mad. I'm so mad. I'm so mad. And they don't know how to talk themselves out of it when they're five. But if you can distract their mind and then have a conversation about it later like that, you know, it's okay to feel sad, but it's not okay to hit me or to throw something at your brother. Then they're going to be in a much calmer mental state to understand what you're saying. So basically at that age, when they're still learning and learning how to communicate, you would say focus more on helping them have calming down techniques in the moment. Is that? I think so. And then helping them understand that like that tightness in my fists or that like what their body is communicating to them because they need to understand their feelings before they can really communicate it. And I think to probably a three-year-old can't understand his thought life. You know, that's probably something that maybe a five-year-old could start, but probably more like seven, eight, nine can really start to understand how their thoughts are influencing. And you can, it's building blocks. You can start to talk that language with younger kids, but they may not fully grasp it until a little bit older. And so you talked about kind of reactively, like your child has thrown this big fit and kind of here's how to calm them down and then to talk about it. But what about proactively? What are some things proactively we can do to help our kids learn to 
understand what they're feeling and then express that. Yeah. So reading books with feelings or even just, it doesn't have to be a feeling book, but reading it and saying, how do you think that character feels? And kind of giving them that perspective shift. Cause a lot of times young kids just only think about their own point of view, but even if they start to understand other characters or situations, that's going to give them emotional intelligence or awareness. And something else that I'm not sure that I put in the book, but that has helped a lot when I had kids who had trouble focusing or with autism, when I would test them, we would do something like first, then, and it's such simple language. Like first, we're going to do this and then you can play with your toy. First, we're going to answer three questions, then you can have a break. And so really creating clear boundaries for kids because okay, I've lost my temper on my kids. I've yelled at my kids, but I know that that's not effective in changing their behavior. And so if we can remain calm and tell them what we're going to do and what they should expect, it's going to help de-escalate that situation. Because if we yell, they're only going to focus on our anger, not their misbehavior. And you talk about how parents need to work on their own emotional health before we can really help our kids with that. I talked to so many moms who they're just really frustrated with their kids. Like they just feel in over their head. They're completely frustrated. They don't even know where to start. So to that mom who is just, she wakes up every day and kind of feels completely behind, so frustrated. Her house is messy. Her life is messy. There's so much to do. Her kids are just driving her nuts. How can she have that calm spirit when it feels to her like nothing is calm in her life? So I, we were talking a little bit before launching a book and I'm starting to do a hybrid homeschool has been super stressful. And so my house has been the thing that has gone <laughs> during this time. My house is so messy recently and it's driving me crazy. And so I'll walk around and I'm just focusing on like, look at that. You didn't put the laundry away or these toys are out and you're not getting your kids to learn these skills. And we can start beating ourselves up. And of course, we're going to, then when somebody provokes us and does something we don't want, we're going to yell because we're already feeling frustrated. And so um, instead of me saying all the things I'm not doing, like I'm not doing the laundry, I'm not doing this. I'm like, okay, Lauren, you just start writing down the things you are doing, even if it's simple. Like I made my kids breakfast today. <laughs> I made a home cooked meal, like check for me. You know, I think we need to remind ourselves of what we are doing. And then also making sure that we're giving ourselves breaks or being being able to ask for help. Now, I know when my youngest was born, we lived far away from family. So it wasn't like I could just have someone come. And my husband was working night shifts sometimes. So I'm at like up at two in the morning with a crying baby and no one is there to help me. And so I think for me, it was really just relying on God and just reciting scripture and giving it over to him and then not beating myself up if I had a bad moment. Not letting that ruin the day, ruin the week, learning to give it to God. If I need to ask for forgiveness, ask for forgiveness and then you know, Jesus has moved on. So we need to move on too. You also talk about, um, I was thinking for older kids, you have this ABC thought log and, um, I'm not sure in the context of this book, cause I just opened it up, um, here. It was a part that I loved, but I can't remember whether it was for parents or whether it was for our kids. Um, but I'd love for you to talk more about that and because I thought it was really powerful. Yeah. So actually that can be used for both. So mm -hmm. it's looking at, okay, I forget. This is terrible. A is for adversity, right? Mm -hmm. So what is the challenging event? Because a lot of times kids take that selfish perspective of like, life is so hard. Everything is bad for me or they did this to me. And so what, talk about the situation. What, what happened before? What's going on? What's, what are you feeling? And then 
looking at, sometimes I skip B and go to C, which is like the consequence. How did you react to that adversity? What was your response? And then looking at like, okay, what did you believe? So did you believe that like life is always hard? Did you believe that mom is always unfair? Did you believe that they always get what they want and I never do? And looking at how those beliefs affected how we responded, how we reacted. Because if we want to change our reaction, we need to look at what we're believing first. And so I, uh, throughout the book, I think reflection is so key. And that's why when we have small kids, it's so hard to find those quiet moments. But for me, I found like if I always listen to a podcast while I'm folding laundry or if I'm constantly being simulated, I'm never giving myself a chance to reflect and say like, what's working well? And what am I doing that is working? And what's not working that I can change? Because we can change. We don't have to stay stuck in patterns. And so I think if we can give ourselves some white space, I know it's so hard <laughs> with kids, but if we can, I think then we can start to look at what am I believing about this situation and is it helpful and does it line up with what God says about this situation? And so I think to this will be for older kids, but if they can start to see their beliefs and how that affects the situation and maybe where that, maybe we need to give them the scripture that goes, well, like, this is what God says, you know, you're believing this, but like, here's what God says about you or about this situation that we can have peace that passes all understanding. And so we may need to guide them, but then they can start to change their thoughts and capturing that is hard, but before we can capture it and change it, we need to know what it is. So that's why reflection is so important. Uh, but then they can start to say, okay, no, I may be feeling this way, but this is what God says, or this is what I'm going to believe about myself. And I think as moms, like finding those pockets of time, yes, it can feel like we never have quiet in our life, but that's actually a negative thought pattern that's not true. Like yeah. there are some times in most cases, you're going to have a little bit of quiet in your life. So I find for me that sometimes it's easy to fill the quiet that we have. Mm -hmm. And so not recognize that it's quiet because we're picking up our phone or turning something on, turning on a podcast, turning on a show, turning on music. And so just thinking for me, a lot of times I will challenge myself when I'm driving in the car, um, if kids are sleeping or every once in a while when I'm driving by myself to just not have anything on, yeah, like just have silence and just to soak up that silence or to take a shower and just like for me, water, there's something about water that like helps me to build things. So it's like if I'm um, cooking and uh, cleaning and I'm like, got my hands in soapy water, washing the dishes or taking a shower, I feel like that's it, like opens up my brain or something. So like taking those little pockets of time and you were talking about reflection. And recently I started working with a coach and she has me every single week, like stop and reflect on what went well this past week what were my challenges? And then what am I grateful for? And that simple exercise, I was like, I don't even, I was like, I don't even need to have a phone call with you. If I just <laughs> paid you to like make me write this every week, because it's been so good for me. Mm -hmm. And it kind of circles back to what you were talking about earlier about how so often we focus on what we haven't done, what we need to do instead of what we have accomplished. And so what did I do this week? And I start writing it down and I'm like, oh, it's so encouraging like yeah. to stop and celebrate those wins. And then what challenges did I have and what can I be grateful for? And so I feel like those three questions, I would just encourage anyone listening. If you have those little pockets of time, like to take that time to reflect as we close, I want you to talk about in the back of the book, you share about rhythms of rest. And you talked about before we started recording that this is a section of the book that kind of 
changed your home as you were writing it. Can you tell us more about it? Yeah. So I always have lived a a busy life and I didn't know that it wasn't normal until I was writing the book. And I was a swimmer in high school. So I would swim before school. I would go to school, to public school. Then I would swim after, then I would maybe lift, then I would go home. And it was this rat race of like trying to take all these APs so you could get a GPA over 4.0. I mean, it's now it sounds crazy, but it was like, this is what you did. And so I did it. And then in college, I swam in grad school. I had an assistantship, which was a huge blessing because I didn't have to pay for graduate school, but that meant I had to work a certain amount of hours to get that. And so my life has always been busy and it was like, just became normal. And a doctor actually said to me, cause I was having, I started to have gut problems and a doctor was like, I think you might be addicted to stress. And I was like, there's no, like what? Cause at that point I was a stay at home mom and I was like, there's no way. And then when I really started looking at research about slowing down and even what the Bible says about Sabbath, we don't rest. And I joke because my kids and I were reading Little House on the Prairie and on Sundays, they have to not like do anything loud. They have to do quiet activities. And the one little girl started playing with the dog and Pa yelled at her. And I was like, guys, can you imagine if like Sundays be just, you know, no TV, nothing loud. You just kind of sat and like played quietly. And they were like, what? Because we live in such a fast paced world and it's normal now. My son wanted to play baseball at five. It was like, okay, well that's three times a week. And I was like, what? I don't want to do this. I don't want to run somewhere every night of the week. When are we going to have family time? We're so overstimulated as a culture. We need, our brain needs rest. If we want to renew our minds, it has to include rest because that is when our brain reflection, even that's when we start to think creatively. That's when we problem solve. If we want healthy brain connections, we need to have a restful life. And so my husband and I started asking ourselves some questions like, what are we telling our kids verbally about what what rest is and why? But then what are we saying to them without words about our schedule? And what are we saying, you know, if we maybe skip church to do this or that, you know, what are we telling them without really telling them? And so we we decided to pull back. And thankfully, like it took time to get there. It wasn't like an immediate shift. So if people are feeling like, I don't like this, but I, I can't with my job, pray about it, give it to God. And over time, we were able to make steps to lead a, a slower life. Mm-hmm. And so what has that looked like for your family? You said you made some changes. What specifically? Yeah. So my husband got a new job. So now he doesn't work on weekends or holidays. And he had done that since we got married. So it's just kind of, again, like this is just normal. This is what you do. And that has been a huge blessing as our kids have gotten older to have him there on the weekends. And then we started hybrid homeschooling. So my kids were going to a private Christian school, but then we decided that we wanted more time. And it wasn't really, I know a lot of people homeschool because they don't like what the school is doing. We loved our kids' school, but it was starting to feel like they're gone so much and we want to travel more. We want to show them things of this world and we want to sit down and have Bible time. But we can't when we're constantly running places. We can't teach them the things we want to teach them. And it's such a short time. I mean, I kind of hate that. We only have 18 summers because it makes you get anxiety about like, I have to make every moment count. And I think that's unrealistic. But I think we need to look at what we prioritize. And are we, if we're making time for family, if we want, if that's what matters to us, family time or Bible time, then we're going to have to figure out how to fit that in our schedule and make it a priority. So good. And how has it impacted your home then to make these changes? Yeah, I, I feel like 
I mean, it's a little hard to say considering that you were in the middle of a book yes, launch yes. when you started hybrid homeschooling. <laughs> I mean, but- that has been crazy. But for me, it was the morning rush. If I started my morning out rushing, like, quick, we need to get the lunch. Did you get the water bottles? Like, do you have your homework? That just set the tone for the day. And I hated it. I hated feeling anxious every morning. And so having the ability to have a slower morning where I can make sure that I'm in the word and I'm getting time alone. And now my kids are old enough where they can like start breakfast without me. So they know like, okay, mom's in her little room reading her Bible. I feel like it just changed the course of my day. And yes, it's been crazy launching a book, but I think that I still had more peace through it than if I was like rushing them there. And it, I just hate the rushing. I, it doesn't make me feel good. Mm. Well, one thing that I always challenge myself, like if I'm feeling the need to rush, it's that stopping and reflecting and asking why. Yeah. Because oftentimes it's because I'm caring more about what other people are going to think than I am about what is best for our home. So that means some mornings that's just being like, my child's going to get a tardy. And that is okay. (laughs) And I am not going to worry about it because sitting here and having this conversation and really processing this and, you know, having these heart to heart talks, that is so much more important than getting them somewhere on time. Now, I'm not saying that we should like throw all timeliness out the window, but it's just really changing our heart so that we recognize that when we slow down and have that space for reflection, and we are in a calm space, then it's going to completely change the way that we parent. And I really feel like it completely changes the whole tone of our home. And then to like, when we send our children out, if they're going to school or we send them somewhere else or just starting their day, if we homeschool, like starting from that place of rest and peace, it just changes everything. It really does. I'm just so grateful for you writing this book and really encouraging parents with very practical ways that they can help their kids to be spiritually strong and emotionally healthy. And I would encourage everyone listening, whether you have little kids, whether you have older kids, whether you have nieces or nephews, whether you're involved in the children's ministry at your church or teen ministry or whatever it is, you have children in your life. And I would encourage you to get a copy of this book because not only is it going to help you as you process with them, but also in your own life, giving you tools to process and become more spiritually strong and emotionally healthy as an adult. So again, the title of the book is Unshakable Kids, Three Keys to Raising Spiritually Strong and Emotionally Healthy Children. Thank you for joining us today. For more great resources, please visit crystalpain.com. 